Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. the gates and ready to go hot mic with Hutton and withrow underway the monday edition coming off a busy weekend full of headlines glad you're with us on the outkick network which includes our great radio partners you may be listening to right now and on youtube the outkick channel live and going the chat follow chad in there he actually responds in the chat live throughout the show hope you'll subscribe while you're there just search out outkick and uh you can join us anytime we go live Everything on demand with all of the great shows here on the channel. We've got uh, Charlie Arnold, speaking of OutKick, very special guest. She joins us later in the show in hour number two. Bobby Carpenter may join us a little bit later in today's show as well. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. I hope your weekend uh, was great. enjoyable. Yeah. Good job going out and seeing Oppenheimer. Uh, we Did can that. rap about that Did later. That. Yeah. Uh, Hutton, a big history buff like me. I spent my weekend having heat exhaustion for the first time since 1993. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was 11 uh, years old the last time I had a, a heat-related incident and got myself into another one on Saturday. There was like emergency status for heat in like 29 of the states across America. Ours was weekend. one of them. No no doubt. Ours was one of no them. No doubt. I found that out the hard way. Uh, speaking of heat, we've got plenty of headlines to hit in Scorched Earth as we begin this Monday. I, I, it's across the NFL. Uh, starting with Jonathan Taylor and the saga that continues in, in Indianapolis. Chad... Mentioned this uh, last week when he started camp on PUP. He had mentioned back in June, Taylor did, that he was healthy. He wanted to be a Colt for life. He was hoping to get a contract extension. That quickly deteriorated. It's not going to happen. And they have this Zoom meeting where it's reported that he's the most visibly upset based on the responses from those in attendance uh, across the league that play, uh, NFLPA representatives as well. And then last week, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Ursay, says that you know the running backs that are trying to go back retroactively and change the collective bargaining agreement, unprofessional, and the agents are representing or misrepresenting uh, the other side of this in bad faith. Like and inappropriate that, was the word he used. To go back and to renegotiate would be inappropriate. And, and that got things going from there. Over the weekend... Taylor joined Ursay on the owner's bus at Colts camp. And whatever was said on that bus was not great because right after, Taylor's requesting a trade because he's not going to get the contract extension in the final year of his deal uh, where he's set to be paid around $4 million, a little bit more than that. Uh, Ursay said no, no deal will be extended. And over the weekend, Ursay, in response to Taylor's trade request, we're not trading Jonathan. End of discussion. Not now and not in October. That's an Albert Breer, uh, NFL insider. Chad, it's, it's only getting started here. And now the Colts, have, the reports were even threatening to put him on the non-football injury list with a back issue they say has cropped up from him training in the offseason on his own in Arizona. And Taylor's saying he doesn't have a sore back. He's never reported a back issue. And all of that's just made up to go along with this story. So, Hutton, let's get into our first reaction to it and then the follow-up reaction when we get more information. So, that tweet that Jonathan Taylor puts out about 
Never had a back issue, never complained about a back issue. Get better sources from Stephen Holder's report. When I first saw Stephen Holder's report about a back issue, you tell me, Hutton, if you had the same response. This is immediately what came to mind for me. I thought Jonathan Taylor showed up, didn't want to practice. He's pissed off at his owner. He's pissed off at his situation and that running backs aren't getting paid. And I thought that he was making kind of an underhanded joke about carrying the team Mm. and saying, you know what? My back's hurt. I think you might find that in this physical. My back's really been bothering me. Almost like a joke, like you would say, you know, uh, when Hutton carries this show and he leaves out of here and he goes, you know, my back's hurting today because Withrow (laughs) won't pick up the slack. And he tells the whole crew that his back's hurting. That type of joke. I thought that he was doing that symbolically, saying that his back was hurt, the team, to also take a shot at the owner. And the doctors and the team came back and said, oh, you hurt your back away from us? Well, then you're not going to get paid this year, and you're on the non-football injury list as a counter to him making jokes about his back. That was my initial reaction. Now, when Taylor comes back and tweets out, or X is out, whatever we're calling it now, not Twitter, when he decides to put out there that he didn't have a back issue, didn't report it, then I'm thinking, well, then what is going on here? Well, if that's so the case? he's on PUP uh, with a physically unable to perform list, and he had off-season ankle surgery where he missed five or six games last year due to the ankle issue. And you know, those that are boots on the ground covering the team, they were they just thought it was unusual because in OTA minicamp, Taylor's saying he's going to be ready for camp, he's healthy, ready to go, and then he shows up and the he doesn't pass the physical to that extent, and he's on PUP to begin. Uh, that's to protect the team. He wouldn't count against the roster as they would start the season for the first six weeks if he remained uh, unable to play based on whatever injury happened in the offseason. The non-football injury list, though, would be different based on how you would allocate his money and uh, the contract that would go into effect, any roster bonus that would be in there on the rookie deal for a second-round pick in 2020. That would be the extra threat on sitting out and not getting paid uh, whenever the season starts, but also getting fined. But he's on PUP, and the Colts put him there, not Taylor. And all of that behind the scenes is just unusual. Pointed it out last week here, and now it leads to some weekend drama. And it's all stemming from Ursay's original tweet about the inappropriate nature of the comments made behind that Zoom wall, that needing the, the passcode to get in and hear what was said. Reports getting out, though, from players that attended and others just saying it didn't go well for the running backs. Wasn't it Saquon Barkley originally? One of the running backs said, it is what it is. And then they got mad afterwards, but then solved the problem that Saquon Barkley did later. I think it was Barkley who posted that. This is truly a case. It's a, I love this story, by the way. I hope we get more and more juice in this story as we keep going. But both sides are right. Jim Irsay is a thousand percent correct to say that it is completely inappropriate because we have one position group out of all the position groups in the NFL. We have one that are very upset about their standing and their pay to go back and erase all the work done on both sides and concessions made in a CBA to appease one position group being angry. And that one position group has every right to be upset about the way things are trending right now. They've got every right to be angry about their place on their team, the physical pounding they're taking, commensurate or not commensurate with the pay they're receiving in the league. Both sides are right here. So, it is what it is. 
It's one of those situations that does not have an easy solution. It sucks for the running back. But Jim Irsay's right to say that. Of course you're not going to go back to the bargaining table because right. you've got a handful of top running backs mad. And if you're going to sit there and complain about your back or fake an injury or whatever it is, then we will use every means at our disposal as owners in the league to punish you for doing that. And it's only going to make things worse for you if you do that. Things not good in the backfield. Zach Moss, the backup running back to Taylor, who they received in a trade from Buffalo and the Naheem Hines trade. He is uh, on the injury list as of today. All this happened over the weekend. And then today's practice, according to reports, Zach Moss broke his arm. And he's out four to six weeks to begin the season at the running back spot. That leaves Deion Jackson, who received a handful of carries throughout last season, and a rookie fifth-round pick in their backfield currently. So on top of all of this, they do have a depth issue. And you have Taylor in a spat with Ursay in what's a standoff. Meanwhile, uh, everyone's raving about Anthony Richardson in, uh, you know, the, the jersey and shorts and a helmet. He's making plays, as you would expect. We saw this at Florida and all the highlight reels. He has a, quite the arm uh, hooking up here with, with Alec Pierce uh, via the, the Colts website and uh, Twitter account. No pads, no pass rush, but you see the talent. Quiddy Pay, one of the defensive linemen, Chad, uh, when he was asked, what's it like to practice against and play against Anthony Richardson, he said, well, it's demoralizing, really. Is that a good sign or a bad sign, given the fact that Pay can't even really rush him at this point in practice as of, in, uh, until today? Considering that college defenses <laughs> at times had an easy time defending Anthony Richardson, probably not a, a great thing. Um, I, I think we get too carried away. Yeah. I know Not what you're about we, to say. but players get too carried away trying to prop up yeah. their quarterback, and they just end up saying ridiculous things. Uh, remember the uh, the who was the Packers receiver that talked about you know Jordan loves every bit as good as Aaron Rodgers, you know maybe the best player in the league catching passes from it so much easier. I forget the player. Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs. Yeah, and I'm thinking, all right, let's cool it a little bit. Yeah. We get it. He's your quarterback now. The other guy was your quarterback. This is Quiddy Pay just trying to make sure that he's saying all the nice things about his quarterback. But, I mean, Anthony Richardson, and you saw it in that video, ability has never been his issue. It's accuracy. It's consistency. But that is the type of guy who can demoralize a defensive lineman because you think you've done everything right on a play. And he escapes. And he's uh, athletic enough, fast enough, strong enough, everything to escape. And not just escape, to to flick his wrist and throw it perfectly down the field the way we saw it on that play or to beat you with a big run. So none of this surprises me. What we got to see from Anthony Richardson is a better ability to process within the game and be more accurate, more consistently. We're not talking about a hundred percent. No decisive. one's that, but decisive, accurate, quick with the ball, seeing more of that. He's got the physical tools no to be great in the NFL. And it's a very high ceiling. Oh, Very yeah. low floor, too, but worth the risk if you have the option. And they, I mean, the head coach and GM and Indy fell in love with him 10 days into the job. So they've got their guy. Now it's about progressing. Quiddy Pay has his quarterback. Chad Aaron Rodgers has his coordinator and defended him, went in heavy on Sean Payton in defense of Nathaniel Hackett and Payton's comments that got out last week through USA Today about Hackett last year with Denver being the worst coaching job in the history of the league. Here's Rodgers. 
I love Nathaniel Hackett, and those comments were very surprising. For a coach to do that to another coach, my love for Hackett goes deep. You know, we had some great years together in Green Bay. Kept in touch. Love him and his family. He's an incredible family man, incredible dad. And on the field, he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. His approach to it, how he makes it fun, how he cares about the guys, just how he goes about his business with respect, with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. It made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep my coach's names out of his mouth. That's Aaron Rodgers discussing Sean Payton to Peter Schrager on NFL Plus over the weekend uh, when Schrager was there at Jets camp. Uh, firing back and doing it in a, a, a heated way where everyone's going to Hackett's defense. And, I mean, to Hackett's defense as a coordinator, Rodgers won back-to-back NFL MVPs while in Green Bay with him. Of course, Matt LaFleur is also running that offense in Green Bay. Yeah, and I, look, Aaron Rodgers ran the offense in, in Green Bay. Uh, I, I give those two MVPs way more to Aaron Rodgers than to Hackett. But yes, of course. I mean, well, I, I've joked about them being ping-pong partners and buddies, and they were friendly. And Aaron Rodgers loved his experience with Nathaniel Hackett. It's why, in large part, he's going to have a great experience with the Jets, I think, is because Nathaniel Hackett is there. I respect Aaron Rodgers more and more by the day. This makes me respect him more. I mean, absolutely come to the, to the defense of your friend and a coach that you admire and that you think highly of when another coach comes after him. And it does – look, I, I like Sean Payton's honesty. I hate that he, he came back and sort of apologized the next day. Didn't really apologize. Just said, I wish I hadn't said it. He didn't say I didn't mean what I said. Yeah. I said it. He but said I, I said what I said. I had my Fox analyst hat on when I said it, and I probably shouldn't have gone there. That was the low point of the offseason for us. But in part, he is setting things up both for his team to say it was the coach's fault. You're a good roster. You should be better than this. We should be a Russell Wilson. Team. Yeah. And it also does help him if things go poorly in year well, one that he can point back to, well, I inherited this circus sideshow mess, and now I'm just trying to clean it up, as I told you in the preseason. Well, it, and that's what Aaron Rodgers is hinting at. Ursay and um, Jonathan Taylor, both sides have a point. Right, Both sides can be right in how their stance is currently. And it's the same way here with what Rodgers is saying because there has been success with Nathaniel Hackett while Rodgers has been the quarterback. Um, There's a reason why the Denver Broncos hired Hackett. They were trying to get Aaron Rodgers to decide to go there and join him, recruit him. They end up with Russell Wilson. All of that uh, backstory is true. All of what Sean Payton said about Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach is what everyone has been saying for months now, even while Hackett is on, what, Monday Night Football back in Seattle last year, week one? Well, he was objectively bad. Yeah. There, I mean, that, there's no opinion about it. His tenure no, in, in Denver was bad. Everything the reported for Hackett, about it. I mean, just look at the results last year. It was a disaster. Well, and they had to come and, in and hire a guy to help him with decisions. Remember all those just awful yeah. decisions well, that the, seemed common sense week early one in the year? to kick the field goal instead of put Wilson out I there. I mean, it was, it was bad. But, like, I, I get it. You know, you can... I understand Aaron Rodgers being upset and coming to the defense of his coach, right? Because there is this sort of thing of coaches don't normally go after coaches. You let bygones be bygones. That was in the past. We're moving forward. We're worried about this upcoming game and not the last game and all those things. And here you have a fellow coach in that fraternity just dragging him, dragging Nathaniel Hackett and his time there in Denver. So I understand Aaron Rodgers being upset. But that does not take away from the fact that he may like Nathaniel Hackett. He may have done a great job as OC in Green Bay. 
He was a terrible head coach in Denver. Sean Payton is correct. There is no one in Denver that would argue otherwise. Maybe his one offensive lineman who follows him everywhere would Billy be the Tur- only one to, to say that he did a good job. Yeah. He did a bad job. It's okay to say that he did a bad job. He may be a great coordinator. He was awful in his first chance as a head coach. It's that simple. Yep, and, and also keep in mind, Hard Knocks will have the reaction of the Jets hearing the comments from Sean Payton. This is not going away anytime soon. Hard Knocks is also following Dalvin Cook uh, in the visit over the weekend in New York. Um, on the field, throughout the facility, all of it, while he watched practice. So I'm, I'm really fascinated from the inside access there. Uh, and for being uncooperative, quote-unquote, to HBO and Hard Knocks, they have a free agent visitor at their facility during a practice. That's more of the inside stuff I want to know about. You know, what are the meetings like? Recruiting a player versus trying to figure out if the player's going to be all in or not. And in the meantime... Real reaction on a guy that you like and hack it and coming to his defense in real time while the cameras roll. Hopefully that final cut will include the Jets backing the players who have opinions about their OC and they let it air. More headlines when we return, including the Pac-12 and the teams that would like to join their conference, actually. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chet, why, when we see this list in a moment, Pac-12, they're scrambling a bit, at least we can only hope, given the fact that the Big 12 lands Colorado and presumably will land at least one more, we'll discuss in a moment. But if you're the Mountain West, if you're uh, Gloria Navarez, the commissioner of the Mountain West, aren't you putting in an application to merge and join and have a partnership with the Pac-12 at this point? Because Jim Williams, friend of the show, longtime consultant, uh, an Emmy Award winner as a producer, follows all of these network contracts and uh, grant of rights deals between conferences and TV contracts. And he puts out the following schools around – have have filed paperwork to 
join the Pac-12 if they were, if they if the Pac-12 also wants to give them the formal invite. And, and the schools include Colorado State, San Diego State is back, uh, UNLV, Tulane, University of South Florida, Memphis, SMU, Boise State, Rice, Tulsa, Fresno State. And Jim even says there there are more, but I think you get the idea. And he goes, note to San Diego State, wait until you get the invite to leave and announce that. So they, they're reapplying following and file, filing the paperwork. But point being, based on all of those programs, I'm thinking Mountain West has to be looking for a way to survive at this point. And if you want more than what you're getting and you're trying to believe in whatever the Pac-12 is doing, aren't you trying to form some type of better relationship than every school practically filing paperwork to jump to a conference that doesn't seem like it's going to be afloat for much longer? Yeah, this seems like a much on a much lesser scale, a PGA live tour type merger situation for, for the two of them. I mean, yeah. The buyout for San Diego State, correct me if I'm wrong, but was $35 million? over two Yeah, over the next two years. Because I remember looking at the comparison in, in Memphis as an example, um, coming out of the American, I think theirs was 12.5 compared to San Diego State and other Mountain West schools at $35 million to leave and join the Pac-12. If the buyout is that much. Uh, unless the, they didn't sign whatever was formal and what it, was reported. It, it, I don't know the situation there. It could be different for different programs, the buyout and what's involved and linked. I have no but idea. But that was the report, yeah. But if the money is that great to leave that conference and go to another and you've got this many schools trying to bolt your conference, I mean, there, there has to be some sort of NBA, ABA, NFL, AFL. I'm not talking 100% merger. But there, there could be something where the top six programs within the Mountain West all get an invite to join the new Pac-12 and you work out a financial agreement where now the Pac-12 and the Mountain West are one and the same, but it spins off another conference possibly as well where others aren't taken. I, I don't know how you work it out, but it does seem to me instead of negotiating with these eight programs and separately – Go to the individual conferences they're associated with, and not all these are Mountain West, but a lot of them are. And let's do some business. Well, but they—it's hard to really figure out what the business is. They wouldn't do business with the Big Twelve. Now they can't find a TV partner to do business with them. And for all of the discussion about the Big Twelve adding one more, what is the ACC going to do? Here's the Pac-12. In, in trying to figure out what they're going to do in terms of grant of rights and their their media contract moving forward, if you're any if you're any of the streaming services, if you're a a, a company, if you're a linear television that's wants just a piece of the pie of whatever this contract ends up being, why would you sign up now and let the deal be what it is without knowing the plan and the teams that they're going to acquire? Because they've already admitted that they're going to be aggressive in expansion. I mean. They have to be because if one more leaves, if Oregon, uh, Arizona, that's being reported, if they bolt, then they're down to, what, eight at the start of next year whenever USC and UCLA actually join the Big Ten formally. Chad, I don't know which comes first here. Why would you be a program that wants to leave where you are and join the Pac-12 without much knowledge of what's on the horizon for the next three years? I mean, it's not even a distant future. It's what's next You've got to know what's next. And so do the TV companies. So does the, the money, the investment being made for the media rights. Why, if you, if you want to air Mountain West football, why don't you nego negotiate with them? Because the Pac-12 is about to become that. 
It's no different than the Sun Belt and Conference USA when Memphis and UConn and Houston and everyone just bolted, and then the Sun Belt teams joined, and then Conference USA just became the Sun Belt. This is happening again, and I don't see the value in just one conference joining into another with all of the the true value, the money makers, the brands, presumably leaving. Arizona's being reported uh, to the Big 12, which we'll, we'll give opinion on in a moment, but Oregon and Washington have long been linked with the Big 10. The ACC's doing background on them too. Which, which happens first? And I think if you're the Pac-12, you've got to make some acquisitions first in order to get this deal done. Well, will the Pac-12 learn from their previous mistake with the Big 12 where they were dismissive of an effort to merge. When the Big yeah. 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12 came hat in hand to the Pac-12 and said, let's make a deal. Let's put our two conferences together with the combined resources of the brands and programs involved. We will form the third, the new of the, the, the new Big 3. It won't just be the Big 2 with the SEC and the Big 10. We will now have the Big 3 because our two conferences together will be stronger than ever, and we will have a huge chip at the negotiating table when we go to media rights deals. Instead, Pac-12, nose in the air, being the academically high-minded universe, world-leading universities, as George Klyavikov says, when Colorado leaves. They're going to continue to do that, said, no thanks, we're good. And then they watch their two biggest brand, well, two, not their two biggest, one of their biggest, and another sister program leave in USC and UCLA, and now they're left when Colorado bolts and now maybe Arizona possibly merging with the Mountain West. But in all fairness, that might be the right move right now for the Pac-12 to survive. Well, if they don't merge with the Mountain West, and again, I'm looking at it from the Mountain West point of view, what, what you just described with the Big 12 with nose in the air is what they just did for the Pac-12 to San Diego State, who is now apparently reapplying. Well, if uh, again, if I'm a network partner, if I'm a, a no, another member institution... Why are we saying no to them last month and now all of a sudden it's good for the Pac-12 without having the foresight that Colorado was leaving? Oregon and Washington, we've been discussing them for the Big Ten since USC and UCLA decided to make the move last year. Why not have the foresight and all of a sudden, um, weeks later, oh, now it's good that San Diego State's going to be uh, receiving the invite from our presidents, from our chancellors within this high and mighty conference. That doesn't make sense either. And again, it's grasping at straws now when they could have been grasping uh, to build something that was stable. And right now, it just doesn't feel that way, even though uh, Yogi Roth, who's with the Pac-12 network, is saying that, hey, uh, hold your water, hold your powder, everything's going to be okay. Uh, he's saying that there's a lot of dialogue around the Pac-12 and being asked what, what he thinks about it. He says, simply, I think the league will stay together, sign a legit media rights deal, expand, win, and be in a good place moving forward. I don't know how he knows that, given the situation they're in, without anything formal, with the presidents and ADs being left on the outside, looking in, trying to figure out the numbers of whatever contract Klyavikov says is going to be on par with the Big 12, and knowing that they also have schools that are applying, but it's the schools that represent, at least one of them represent one that the Pac-12 didn't even bat an eye at uh, the last time San Diego State tried to flirt openly with the Pac-12. And now all of a sudden, they're open for business. Makes no sense. And it shows you the difference in leadership between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 with what we've seen there compared to what we've seen out West. The ultimate 
PGA Live analogy here, comparison of completely swallowing your pride and doing what you espoused to not do before, which is what Jay Monahan did in the interest of business because he could not compete. Pac-12 right now is on a collision course to not be able to compete with the Big 12. Reverse it. You go hat in hand now to the Big 12 and say, let's merge. I'm ready. I was wrong before. You guys were right. You took a big one from us in Colorado. You may be taking another big one from us in Arizona. Let's talk about what it would mean to have west of the Mississippi covered. That's what we want to do with a Pac-12, Big 12 merger. Now, Brett Yormark may say, shove it. If he comes well, back to them now when they're no reeling and no, say that. There's no penalty to acquire the, the programs that they want to acquire yeah. now so from, from the Pac-12. That may conference. very well be the case, but I, I'm, I am thinking big picture. This is a macro look at college sports yeah. and where they're headed. If you want to start to be a shape shifter and a shape maker at the same time, we are going to reform what we are and who we are while also keeping an eye to the future and starting to formulate a divisional system that makes geographic sense, which Washington and Oregon to the ACC makes me want to vomit on this table when I hear it because it makes no damn sense for anyone other than those just trying to play Monopoly with brands and attach to any brand they can. It makes no sense whatsoever, but we're going to have to talk about it. If we don't want to talk about these things, let's speed up the process of a power division of college football that has four or five or six or whatever geographic divisions like you would see in the NFL. Let's have a central governing body and Pac-12 and Big 12 with all this chaos can emerge as the leaders doing that with some sort of 28-team super conference that starts to show people how that can be done. But they, your mark's going to be able to do this and the response can easily be, to Klyavikov, like, I'm not throwing you the life raft here. Because if the Pac-12 is done, finished, we will have our choice of who we want to join. Our leadership, our presidents and chancellors will have their say over that if they want to. If Oregon and Washington are leaving for the Big Ten eventually anyway, what good is it for us to acquire them now? And the the other schools that are backing the Pac- Pac-12 currently, like Oregon State and others, they have no other option because no one wants them, including the Big 12. And... Chad, the the other thing here, too, is at the time when the Big 12 went to the Pac-12 looking for this merger, looking for this partnership, this alliance, uh, the Pac-12 had a media deal, and now they don't. So it would literally just be on the crutch of whatever the Big 12 has negotiated uh, properly and very well done compared to the leadership at the top of the the Pac-12. That's the other thing, too, is... Big 12 can already get this without trying to formally announce some type of merger or alliance with the Pac-12 now. Sounds a lot like San Diego State to the Pac-12. You know? Which, you're, it's, you're right, and it's funny that before that was, oh, we're, we're above this. We don't need this, guys. We're good. Right. Yeah. We're going to get a good, a good media deal, and now Colorado leaves. And guys, <laughs> one word for you. Aztecs. That's what's really going to save our bacon in the Pac-12. But changes necessitate a change in thinking. And when Colorado leaves and now maybe Arizona, if they leave, that suddenly leaves you grasping at the best available options. And if one of those best available options is San Diego state, you got to go snatch them. Uh, We had uh, Brett McMurphy on last week who said Arizona is the closest to being among the teams or the programs that would leave for the big 12 after Colorado did last week. And now there are reports 
that uh, it's, a, it's a done deal. Now, it's coming from Jeff Swain, who also said that Colorado to the Big 12 last week was a done deal just prior to that breaking. And he's also saying the source told him the announcement could happen by Tuesday, that Arizona to the Big 12 is, is a thing. And it's been a thing for a while if it's getting done this quickly. And if Arizona had any reservations about what to do, they figured it out quickly based on what happened last week with the Buffaloes and primetime and everything else that the program represents going to the Big 12. And they still need one more to even out the number at 14 moving forward. It's a really good basketball league. That's my first thought of yeah. Arizona oh, yeah. joining the Big 12. Uh, really good basketball conference with Kansas, with West Virginia and their capabilities with Baylor. And what they have yep. now, uh, Cincinnati, Houston, I mean, go on down the list. BYU has been a great program now for years. That, that with all the new changes in the Big 12, it's mostly all about football. We know that. But my thought when I hear Arizona Wildcats, I think Lute Olson, I think Miles Simon, I think Bibby, I think, I think Arizona basketball like most people do. And then when I think about them in this new Big 12, it's pretty exciting. About yeah. an Arizona Kansas, it's a brand Big Twelve matchup. You know that could be sort of the western portion of the conference and the eastern portion of the conference. That's fun to think about. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And it also what you're describing is why I think we will see uh, a push for UConn. I don't know if the presidents and chancellors go for it uh, the, the same way that uh, the reports are stating that the Big Twelve wants to lean that way from their you know, their offices, but I, uh, that would be the reason what you just described, the basketball powerhouses, the brands that they're acquiring. It would, it would take Brett Yormark really doing a good job of selling the fact that basketball is going to drive the boat more and more moving forward, that there's going to be some sort of change, not where it replaces football, but that it has an even bigger place in revenue generating ability within the conference in order to add a basketball power like UConn. Coming up, we will discuss the ACC, and they're doing their homework on Oregon and Washington, uh, plus Arch Manning and an NIL deal that was big, but he's not going to receive a dime from it. Glad you're with us on this Monday edition. Plenty to hit from the weekend of headlines. Rolling through it here across the uh, Outkick Network with Hot Mike with Honey Withrow. I uh, hope you'll subscribe to the Outkick channel on YouTube. Also, join Chad in the chat there. Hit us up on social as well. Chad, so uh, Oregon and Washington, they're going to be highly suited by literally everyone that's not named the SEC or the Big Ten. Reports are the Big Ten is wanting to be patient and wait to see how everything plays out with USC, UCLA, what happens with the Notre Dame contract and NBC. They, they want to survey before officially inviting Oregon and Washington. And I think the fear would be if you're another conference and you acquire them, that eventually that's their landing spot. Mm -hmm. Okay. The ACC last week um, openly said that, that they're open to expansion. They will explore options. And ESPN reported... Uh, that the ACC has looked into Oregon, Washington, West Virginia, and SMU just to see the, the particulars of what fits, what doesn't. Uh, doing their due diligence, doing their homework is what this story is right now. 
But as far as the travel, the coast-to-coast aspect, that makes sense for Oregon and Washington and the Big Ten if the numbers are accurate, and it's like $100 million per school per year. Like You do it for that. For the $36 million or whatever the grant of rights is until 2036 currently in the ACC, no. But that, to me, doesn't make financial sense for brands like Oregon looking to make a jump from the Pac-12. Same would be said for uh, the Big 12. I guess you could, you could throw them in there for the travel that would be a part of this. The Big Ten is worth waiting on. And the question is, is the Pac-12 going to be a version of itself whenever the Big Ten is actually ready to extend that invite? So let's talk about money and let's talk about fit. TV eyeballs, right? That's a, a big thing. TV viewership, all of that. Everyone's going to look at that for media rights deals. Okay, great. That that's fine. I understand. And there are two dollars and cents. Want. All of that. Oregon, Washington, appealing when it comes to eyeballs, brands, all of that. On no planet does that make sense for the ACC. <laughs> Either way, it's the ACC. Is the Atlantic Coast Conference? Yeah. This is in the Pacific Northwest. I hate to be so plain spoken about this, but but I will be right now. We have to use our heads here. That this that makes zero sense. Now I would have also have argued USC and UCLA didn't make a lot of sense for the for the Midwest centered Big Ten. But when you have Rutgers in Maryland in the Big Ten, you go as far west as Nebraska. Then okay, let's have a little West Coast party and bring those two in. Just go ahead and go to the Big Ten, Washington, Oregon. Let's stop playing the song and dance in this game. Let's have a far western division and have Oregon and Washington in the upper northwest corner of the country and then USC and UCLA in the southwest corner of the country. And then they can pivot to Nebraska and Iowa and then go up into the Midwest and you know, you're going to join hands across America and have that conference. Go ahead and let the Big Ten be that conference. That's what makes sense. Because now trying to piece this puzzle together and putting Washington and Oregon with Florida State and Duke and Boston College and Miami, it's just stupid. And it hurts my head to even think about those possibilities. Now, Hutton laid out one that I think is perfect fit. Perfect. West Virginia to the ACC. Boom. Done. Let's go. Let's go to work on that right now. Uh, that, I say West Virginia. It sounds like they're already in the ACC. When I hear that program, when I think about that WVU logo and the Mountaineers and the teams they would play in basketball, I think, man, that seems like an ACC school to me. Let's make that happen. Washington, Oregon to the ACC? No. Let's let's avoid that level of madness. But I think the issue that we're running as college football fans, I totally agree with what you're saying. The problem is you're you're really fighting for primetime window coverage of your conference. And does West Virginia against Duke fit that mold? Uh, even West Virginia, Virginia. Like, where is that on the totem, on the, the, the pecking order of what we're going to see in the primetime window? Um, you throw Oregon into the mix with Clemson and Florida State, Miami and others, then, then you're likely going to have that game in a primetime window on a Saturday night or in the middle of the day. Point being, I think it's more about what are the networks, what what value are they looking for, instead of what makes sense, and what what's the what's the price tag for for that acquisition, and what we can drive up, and what we're what we're worth versus what the SEC and the Big Ten are receiving. Well, what the top thing is can't be the only thing. 
So we all know that media rights, TV viewership, that is the top thing. That can't be the only thing. And a huge part of this, if you are Washington, Oregon, just specifically this example, you have got to weigh the absolute agony it will be to schedule away games and trips when you are playing schools that far away, not some of the time, all the time. When you go on a road trip, you're doing that. That is costly. That is not, to me, that would be a hurdle to get student athletes to your school. I don't think that's a selling point. I don't think, hey, let's get on a plane from Seattle to Tallahassee for a a midweek basketball game. Sounds all that fun to me if I'm a college kid. We've seen forever all the studies. You know what the biggest determining factor for a student athlete and where they go to school, it's location to home. It's, it's, it's proximity to home. A lot of the time, they go somewhere that's pretty close to where they grew up. That's a good program. And that's a big determining factor. So now suddenly, you're going to sell at Washington, Oregon. Hey, we're going to go play North Carolina, and it's going to be fine. Don't worry about the travel. I, I just think there's, there's other factors to keep in mind besides just the TV. It's just too simple that, for me to think just TV on this. But the, it's the it's the TV model of what's what's worth a hundred million, what's worth sixty million plus, versus what the ACC is currently getting, or what the Big Twelve is getting that the Pac twelve is not, and you have to have that number one. That has to be set in stone in order for it financially to work out to your benefit as the program that's going to be spending all of this to make ends meet versus what you're really going to profit if you just sit back and wait. Ultimately, Oregon and Washington haven't been reported as being interested in the ACC. It's been the other way around, and it's just background work, uh, uh, vetting more or less uh, from what we're seeing from the ACC's end. And and, uh, keep in mind, we just discussed what Big 12 and and the Pac-12 discussed a year ago. The ACC was also linked to this coastal partnership and alliance with the Pac-12 too that would give the Pac-12 the East Coast kickoff times, as well as the ACC exposure on the West for those late-night games where they're not able to clear most of those games on the top networks because their games aren't meeting the same criteria that you get with the other rivalries in the top two conferences. Is that at play? I don't know. But for now, it's just about those two schools and what would make sense on the Atlantic coast. Now, the back and forth between the Pacific and Atlantic coast, that can make sense. That is, that's feeling something for a network that's more valuable than what the ACC has currently, what the Pac-12 definitely has. It's more than anything. An offer right now in paper would be more than what they have right now. Point being, I think you do have to be creative in how you go about. It's just not about acquiring just one or two brands. It's about stability and survival of being in that tier, Chad, when they actually do go to this mega conference, this super conference, who's there and who's not? And is it more about just three or four conferences coming together, or is it two conferences that then just acquire programs? And I think the the ACC as a collective, you've got to be on your toes and think, we want to be a group that joins, not one or two that leave us, and we're left being exactly what we've seen out west. If it's all about money, here's what I wish would happen so we could just hurry up and speed up to the end. The Big Ten adds Oregon, Washington. SEC adds Florida State and Clemson or Clemson and North Carolina or whatever two they want from the ACC, and we call uh, a truce at that point. And both sides say, we're done. 
We've got all the programs we want. We will let the dust settle when we figure out what college football is moving forward. And then we'll adjust to that. But right now, the rest of you, you're left reeling, trying to find your own media deals. Good luck. And, and you guys probably don't have a future, so we're all going to have to band together at some point and figure out this 55-60 team college football super conference. Here's the other part of it. If we're, it's only going to be about money, if it's only about TV, viewership, eyeballs, media rights, that, then at some point it's got to only be about the money. And all of these lesser sports, and I say that in air quotes because they don't make money, they're not overly profitable, all of them, most of them are costing the school money, Yeah, they're going to have to not be in these conferences. They're going to have to play in a regional conference that's completely separate of everything else. It's going to be District 5 playing women's softball against each other. They're going to go play cross-country meets uh, against each other. You see this in some lesser sports like bowling where the conferences are different than the SEC and ACC and everything else. They're labeled clubs. Right. Baseball programs. You're going to tell me it's financially viable for Washington to go to Miami to play a college baseball series in February and doing that over and over again for the schools? They're probably going to want to play programs closer to them. So – What we're going to have is, if you're going to make it this national, only college football and maybe men's college basketball compete in those conferences. Every other sport will get subdivided into different districts and compete against their region. Yeah, I mean... To make, again, I'm only talking about money. To make monetary sense for travel, that's what we're going to have to do. Which is why they're also waiting on this federal legislation to regulate name, image, likeness, and all of the money that could be acquired down the road. Right now, Shannon Terry told us what 9% of the actual profit that these schools are scheduled to make would go towards name, image, likeness, 9%. They're battling that. They can actually, they can afford that at the top level. What they don't want is for that to rise to some type of 49, 51% split. They're trying to cut it off now instead of the revenue share growing and growing to where you have a unionized group of players trying to get their share of all the money coming in. If you stop it from happening, it's regulated by law, by federal law. Then you point to that. You save the money that you you were worried about losing down the road with all of this, with everything being a free-for-all. And that's how you make it financially viable for every institution that wants to join at the top. That is the dust settling I'm talking about. Yeah, that's got to happen. Go ahead and grab your two more programs. Let's have an armistice. Let's have a celebration on it. Let's stop it at that point and then let the dust settle with whatever federal regulation gets approved, how revenue sharing will work, how NIL will work, and then come to the negotiating table on what college football the future will look like. But let's let the big boys eat first and go get what they want, and that's the Big Ten and the SEC. And we know they want – they've got each got two programs in mind. More than likely, everyone wants Notre Dame. What are they going to do? Are they going to stay independent? But outside of that, let's just wait until we figure out what this sport is. Oh, by the way, there's some breaking news. Stuart Mandel saying Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyavikov will finally present a TV rights deal in the next 48 hours to the remaining league members. He has his deal. So he is finally going to show them the money. Why does, why does it take two days? Show them the money in the next 48 hours. That's just what Stuart's reporting. That, that's the news he's got to report. That's what the, that's it could what, come tonight, for all he knows. He's just hearing, Yeah, we know it. it's going to happen well, in the next 48 hours. And I guess it will allow everyone to get together on Zoom and get their schedules right. Well, that, if that you've got Arizona waffling, I know. 
and you think this deal is good, aren't you just going to go ahead and shoot a text over, a screenshot to the president of Arizona and say, hey, man, this is pretty close to the Big 12. You don't want to leave, right? But Hutton, when I hear in the next 48 hours, I think, eh, probably not close to the Big 12. Well, or, or is it the – Probably not as good as the other but ones. think about being on the other side of the contract. Whatever media rights deal on the, from the media end of it, if you're about to pay the Pac-12, what's in store? You also need to present who you're adding now versus what's the plan if Arizona leaves, if Oregon and Washington are bolting for the Big Ten eventually. What's the plan? Who's representing the Pac-12 and why? And is I, it valuable for us – not just in the distant future of being and uh, surviving, but are we a part of a group that's actually going to be profitable? Well, are- this is some Stanford alum that works at Apple giving his conference a break. That's what it sounds like to me. Because I don't know how you answer I, those questions. I, I, you can't. What are either you paying side? for? I don't know why anyone would do it right now with the money being spent. San Diego wasn't valuable, and all of a sudden they are. San Jose State. Uh, Arch, Arch Manning is valuable, even though he's the third string. Bring me that, the Aztecs. It's part of our headlines next.